coming to your life. A change is coming to your situation. A change is coming to your circumstance. God told me to come in here and preach to people desperate for change and tell you that a change is coming. And this isn't a change that will be done by human hands or your own discipline. This is a change that is coming by the hands of God himself. There are times in your life where you have to make changes. There are other times when God steps into your situation and changes it himself. I came to tell somebody a change, a change, a change. In the book of Romans, the apostle Paul starts to speak to a pagan society and begins to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to them. He starts his message before he delivers the piercing, penetrating power of the gospel of Jesus dying on the cross. He lays a preface and lets the people of Rome know that they're in sin and their soul is in danger. He anticipates that they will respond in retort and say, we never heard about God. We never had a holy book. No one ever told us about this. How could God hold something against us when we didn't know it was wrong? And Paul anticipates that in Romans chapter one, verse 20. And he said, even though you didn't have a Bible and even though you didn't have a preacher and even though you weren't raised in this, he said, the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, the stuff you can't see, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen from what has been made so that people are without excuse. And Paul raises this concept off the pages of the Bible that creation, the natural world is in itself a preacher. Creation, the natural world is in itself someone who offers witness and testimony concerning not only the existence of God, but the intentions of God. In other words, you can look at things going on in the world and and be clued in to what's happening in the realm of the spirit. You look at what is seen to help you understand the world that is unseen. The scripture teaches us that the natural world in its brilliance and its creation, God also added an element to it. The natural world precedes the spiritual. In other words, when something is about to shift in your life spiritually, you will see the shift first in the natural world. And the natural world has been testifying to us lately. The natural world has been preaching, if you will, to us lately. It's been telling us that there is a change that has arrived, that a change has come, that change is here. In the last two and a half years, the world has changed. Last two and a half years, governments all over the world have changed and changed radically. The reach of government, the power of government, the entanglement of government in the lives of its citizens, it has changed radically. The Supreme Court has made changes to long-standing laws. COVID has caused changes. School has changed. City council meetings have changed. The economy has changed. The whole world has changed. And it is an announcement, a screaming preacher coming from the natural world telling us change is here. And change brings chaos when you don't see it coming. Life is full of turns, quick changes, some of them sharp turns. But you know, taking a sharp turn isn't dangerous if you see it coming. But it's the turns you don't see coming that can be violent. It's the turns you don't see coming that can turn your life upside down. Most of the things you're wounded and bleeding over on the inside are the result of quick changes you didn't see coming. Look at somebody say, I never saw it coming. So the natural world's been prophesying change, change, change. But in the spirit, let me help you understand and contextualize what it means for you. God is bringing another change, but listen carefully. The next change you go through 
will not be changes on the outside of you. The next thing you go through will be a change on the inside of you. And it's a biblical principle that you always walk through change before you change. Oh, Jesus, I'm going to say it again. You always walk through change before you change. And, and in our text, the nation of Israel has asked God, their king, to give them a human king, formerly ruled by prophets and judges under the hand of God himself. Now they have asked for a man to be their monarch. And so God capitulates and speaks to Samuel, his prophet, and says, go anoint Saul to be the king. Many people misunderstand this and they ponder, if the people wanted a king, why did God not allow them to just elect one for themselves? And the reason is God was their king. And you have to be a king before you can transfer power to another king. Now, I can't just make you something that I'm not. I got to be it first before I can make you what I am. <laughs> That's why you ought to be careful whose ministry that you sit under, because they can't make you anything that they are not. They can't make you a man or a woman of faith unless they really are a man or a woman of faith. They can't teach you about God's prosperity unless they are walking in God's prosperity. They can't teach you how to pray if they do not pray themselves. They can't teach you how to preach if they don't preach themselves. They can't take you a place that they never were. So God says, I'm going to have to get involved in this because if he wants my position, I'm going to have to transfer the power. And the problem with God transferring his power to Saul is Saul was not in the state of mind, the state of being, or the state of believing to become what God was asking him to become. So in other words, he needed a change. And I came to tell you, I sense your future. I see your future. I see what God wants to do with you. But in order for God to do with you what he has purposed, ladies and gentlemen, I hate to be the one to tell you, there's got to be a change. Our lives need some changes. Our mindsets need some changes. Our habits need some changes. Our financial decisions need some changes. Our interactions need some changes. Our relationships need some changes. Our circle needs to change. The way we speak needs to change. The way we understand needs to change. The way we go about our day needs to change. And And so God said, if y'all really want me to do this, Samuel, go get Saul and, and bring, bring your oil. Verse 1, Samuel took a flask of oil and he poured it on Saul's head and he kissed him and he's saying, has not the Lord anointed you? Here's the transfer of power. Has not the Lord anointed you ruler over his Inheritance. God said they're mine, but I'm going to anoint you to rule over them. And God is initiating a major change in the nation, a major change in the government, a major change in the life of his people. And notice how he starts. He starts with the oil. Oh, he starts with the oil. He doesn't start with a board or a committee. He doesn't start by, by a natural human organization being formed. He starts with anointing oil. Now, anointing oil is a natural sign of the Holy Spirit's empowerment. Meaning that when the anointing oil comes, it's a sign the Holy Spirit is entering either a person or a situation to bring enablement and empowerment that would not have occurred naturally. The change that is coming over your life is going to be a change that could not have occurred naturally. It's like that teenager that's addicted to drugs. They're going to change supernaturally by the power of the Lord.
more. It's like that financial situation. You're in so much debt you can't climb out, but it's going to change supernaturally because of the power of the Holy Spirit. It's like that health condition in your body. The doctors have been working on it. It ain't getting no better, but it's going to change supernaturally by the entrance of the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Saul cannot be what God has purposed him to be without a change. Neither can you. The problem is, the Bible says Saul stood head and shoulders above everyone in Israel. That he looked like a king. He walked like a king. He presented like a king. Everybody saw a king when they saw Saul, except Saul. And it really doesn't matter what everybody else thinks of you. What really matters is what you think of yourself, how you see yourself, how you communicate with yourself, how you view yourself. And so this change that God is about to make is the most intimate, deepest, most radical change possible, which is changing a person's, a person's internal personal view of who they are. When God really wants to change your life, he'll change how you look at you. So the scripture says that God sent Samuel to initiate a change. And for all the people, when we talk about change, for all of the people who get nervous and who get frustrated because you've tried to change your life so many times. I mean, everyone in here has experimented with trying to change your life, right? You know, you bought that latest self-help book, didn't you? And you tried to put it to work and change your life. You saw that guy on the TV at two in the morning. If you'll buy my diet pill for $49.99, it'll change your life. If you'll join our gym or if you'll follow this program or if you'll start, if you'll get 10 people who will sell 10 people, 10 different things from 10 different places and will change your life. The truth is, it's hard to change your life because you're trying to change something that's operating under the pillar of your thinking. And so you can't change the result unless you change the thinking. But the thinking is coming from a deeper subconscious paradigm and lenses that has formed in your life all of these years. And so really to change your life deeply, God has got to get involved. Push your neighbor and say, this is a job for Jesus. So God sends <laughs> God sends Samuel. A miracle in his own existence. Hannah's womb, his mother was closed. She went and bartered with God at the temple, saying, I am so sick of being barren that if you will give me a child, I'll give him back to you. If you'll allow me to produce a baby, I'll turn around and I'll give that baby to the temple and he'll serve you all of his life. And when Hannah said that, God opened her womb. The Bible says Samuel was raised from the time he was three years old. He was raised inside the temple. He slept in the church. He ate in the church. He's born under the pew, so to speak, lived his life around the things of God. One evening, he heard a voice saying, Samuel, he thought it was the priest. He ran in and said, yes, sir. Priest said, boy, don't bother me. I didn't call you. Go lay down. Samuel goes and lays down in his bed. Here's a voice again, Samuel goes back to the priest, sir. I know I heard you call me boy. If you don't go get back in that bed. Third time, Samuel. Gets up, shakes his head, says, what is this guy, drunk or something? He's 
been known to sip a little too much. He goes back in, sir, did you call me? And the drunk priest, the, the, the half blind and half deaf priest, the spiritual dull priest set up in his bed and said, it may be that the Lord is speaking to you. <laughs> when God has purpose for you, he'll use bad leaders sometimes and their corruption will not corrupt the good thing that God has destined for you. He, he said, boy, it may be that the Lord's trying to speak to you. And, and so if he calls you again, say, here am I, Lord, speaking. Samuel goes back, lays down, hears the voice. Samuel, he gets up. And the voice says, I'm going to show you something and I'm going to tell you something that makes the ears of everyone who hears what you repeat begin to tingle. And then God began to tell him about his ministry and said, this is what I'm going to do with you. I'm going to do something I've never done with any other prophet. Samuel, you're going to be you're going to have to be so careful what you say, because I will not let one of your words fall to the ground. Meaning if you say it, it's going to happen. Samuel. Samuel. The only prophet in the scripture that prophesied after his death. You remember Samuel died. And Saul, once he backslid, needed a word so bad and had no connection with a prophet or a priest. So he went to the witch of Endor and he conjured up Samuel's spirit. And Samuel came back from the dead just to give him one more prophetic word of judgment. And then went back to his rest in paradise. Samuel comes with, with a flask of anointing oil, symbolic of the spirit of God is about to enter your situation. Samuel comes and he begins to pour oil on his head. Now the anointing is flowing. The anointing is flowing. The anointing is flowing. What do you mean preacher? The activity of God's spirit is beginning to move. The activity of God's spirit is beginning to flutter as the flask is open and the oil begins to drip down. So the spirit of God in the unseen realm begins to enter the situation and begins to flutter. And I want you to see the environment in which this anointing took place. Look at Judges 21, 25. This was right before Saul was anointed to be king. This, this text is right before Saul was anointed to be king. Judges 21, 25. The scripture says, in those days, Israel had no king. And everyone did as they saw fit. The text will go on to say, chaos abounded. Because when everybody does what they, how they see fit, or, or the old King James says, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Everyone was operating off of the basis of their own truth. That's a real popular saying today. I got to speak my truth. The problem is you got five different versions of your truth, depending on how you feel when you wake up. There was no established order. And when there is not established order, chaos rules is what we're seeing in our nation. Chaos rules. It's what we're seeing in our cities, in our inner cities. Chaos rules. And where there is chaos, where there is problems, where there is pain, where things are out of order and disjointed, that's where the anointing begins to shine the most. Okay. The more chaos you are in, the more oil God will pour on your life. So to everyone whose house is in chaos, marriage in chaos, finances in chaos, children in chaos, I have a word for you today. The oil is flowing. The oil is flowing. The oil flows in chaos. The oil flows in chaos. And order is coming to your life. Because when God wants to take something chaotic and put it in order, he will always send the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Orders come into your life. Orders come into this community. 
Order is coming to this region. Order is coming to this church like we've never seen before. Order is coming to your business. Order is coming to your house. Enough with the clutter. Enough with the mess. Enough with the decay. Order is coming. Order's coming to your yard. Enough with everything looking overgrown like a jungle. Order is coming to your yard. Order is coming to your car. That thing is like a tornado went through it. Order is coming. Order is coming to your diet. Order is coming to your sleep schedule. Order is coming to your life. Enough wasting time, wasting resources, wasting energy, letting chaos run your day. Order is coming to your life. You're going to be a person on time. You're going to be a person that your yes is yes and your no is no. You're going to be a person whose communication gets in order. No more popping off talking like you're from the street. God wants to raise you up and put you in the boardroom, but you can't go in the boardroom talking. Somebody shout order. Now the oil, the oil is flowing in the text and and the oil, I said, is a, a type of the Spirit of God entering into a situation. Anytime the Spirit of God moves into a situation, quick change comes. Look at me. Look at me. I need you to start preaching with me now. Let's get the flow together. Somebody holler, quick change. When the Holy Spirit gets in it, it's a quick change. I said when the Holy Spirit gets in it, it's a quick change. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form. That word without form means chaos. The earth was without form and void, and darkness covered the face of the deep. But the Spirit of God moved on the face of the waters, and all of a sudden, creation began budding. New life started coming out of an old body when the Spirit of God started moving. Mary was a 14-year-old virgin girl engaged to her. Her love named Joseph but the Bible says when the Holy Spirit started moving there was a quick change she never had natural relations but God can put something on the inside of you without the assistance of a man God can put something on the inside of you without the assistance of a program God can put something down on the inside of you without the assistance of 12 steps God can put something on the inside of you without the assistance of a boss God God can put something on the inside of you without a natural way to explain it. 120, hey Jesus, 120 farmers and fishermen were gathered in the upper room, totally unorganized, not knowing what to do. But the Bible says when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were in one place, they were all together, they were in one accord, and suddenly they heard a sound from heaven like a rushing mighty wind. It was the anointing of the Holy Ghost, it was the presence of the Spirit of God and notice what they said it happened suddenly God took 120 farmers and fishers and turned them into the first church of Jesus Christ that revolutionized the world and is still growing and going today because when the Holy Ghost gets involved the anointing will bring a quick change push three people and say quick change quick change quick change push them push them push them push them Push up, push up. Now, the Bible says after. Hey, Jesus. After. Oh, God, I feel it. You ought to give him a praise right now. The quick change is already starting for somebody. The change is starting in your spirit. It's starting in your mind. Some of you feel like hot oil's running down your head. That's the Holy Ghost. It's a quick change. And then verse 1 says... After he anointed him with oil, he kissed his head. Kissed a, a greasy head. He pours oil on him and then he, he comes and he, he kisses his head. The kiss of the prophet, and don't miss this, the kiss of the prophet is a sign of acceptance. An agreement 
on earth. He's the prophet of the nation. So he represents the people before God. So you got to see what's happening. God sends the anointing. But then earth has to send the acceptance. God sends the change. Earth accepts and agrees with the change. Okay, so what good is it if I send you a meal that you don't eat? Or I send you a gift that you don't accept? It's God's job to send the anointing to change Saul. But it's Samuel's job representing the earth, representing the people, to accept and embrace and agree with what heaven sent, so that thy will may be done on as it is. Oh, you're sharp. He anoints him, and then he kisses him. And then, number three, he gives him a word. Oh, hallelujah. Now, this, this word, now, this word, let's talk about it. Why is he about to give him a word? The word is going to go into the category, and we wouldn't know this until Paul explained it in the New Testament, that prophecy has divisions inside of it, that some of it is a word of wisdom, that you can get a word of wisdom from a prophet, from a man of God under the anointing. They can speak a word of wisdom. That's often a word of counsel or instruction, okay? Or there's the word of knowledge. Word of knowledge, if it's legitimate, always has to be strikingly detailed and accurate. Okay, so, uh, you know, one time, you know, I got a word, uh, a word about where I was going to be living. And the, the word that I got had the name of my street in the word. Okay, what's that? It's a word of knowledge a word describing in detail a future event. Now, this word that's coming to Saul is going to serve for the purpose, big point here, of confirmation. Everybody say three times, confirmation. We cannot live our lives based off of the word of the Lord that we get in church and never get confirmation before we make decisions. Because if a word from God, and if an anointing from God, and if a move from God is legitimate, you will hear it in church and then see it in your natural life. You'll hear it in here and then have it confirmed out there. Enough with these people getting a word about getting married and they run off and get married and they didn't ever get any confirmation. That will put you in trouble. Acting on a word without confirmation is acting too soon. You know you've got something from God when you get the word and then you get the confirmation. So Samuel is telling him something that's about to happen, knowing that when it does happen, Saul will have in full confidence the confirmation that this oil was from God, this anointing was from God, this charge to be king was from God, and he will be able to walk into something heavy without questioning whether God was in it or not. The worst thing you can do is make a major change in your life, not knowing for sure if God was in it or not. And God always has and always will confirm his word. God knows how to get confirmation to you. And so what you want to do is you want to get the word and then get the confirmation. Get the word and then get the confirmation. And he, and he gives him this word and it's interesting. He says, verse 2, when you leave me today, you're going to meet two men. Not three, not five, not seven. You're going to meet two men near Rachel's tomb at Zelza on the border of Benjamin. You can't get much more detailed than that. And, uh, and I just find theologically, if you'll allow me to just pick through this, I think it's interesting. I may bore 85% of you, but, but I just, I, I want to show you 
that confirmation, that, that's why the word comes, okay? The word comes so you'll be awakened to the reality, so you'll have faith for what's going to happen, and so you'll be able to recognize confirmation when it's sin. That's why the prophetic word comes, right? Right? You with me? So it comes for confirmation. God has some confirming to do. He, he's saying, Saul, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, and all this, but, but I want to confirm it. And, and we have the, the two men, and, and, and we have what they're looking for and what they're saying. But I realized God's trying to confirm something, not just to Saul. God's got some unfinished business of confirmation to do at Rachel's tomb. You remember Rachel, the beloved wife of Jacob got swindled into Mary and Leah first. She wasn't the one he wanted. Rachel was the one he wanted. Rachel had problems having children. His first wife gave him 10 children. Rachel squeezes out Joseph and it nearly kills her. And then on the way to Ephrathah in the back of a wagon, pregnant with her second child, she goes into painful labor before they reach their destination. And she gets out and has the baby on the side of the road. And the birth was so intense and the pain was so intense that she realized when she was almost through pushing that having this child was going to cost her her life. And so when she pushes him out, as she's dying right before the death rattle begins in her throat, she names the baby Benoni, which means the son of my sorrow. That's a poor translation. It really means I'm so sorry. What was she thinking? I'm sorry. I won't be there to nurse you. I don't know how you're going to eat. I'm sorry that it won't be my breast that satisfies you. I'm sorry I won't be there to teach you. Daddy's busy. He's gone a lot. I'm sorry. I'm not going to be there to watch over you. I'm sorry I'm not going to be able to watch you get married. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for all the things that I'm not strong enough to do. And I hope you make it. And I'm sorry I won't be able to see it. Benoni and dies. Jacob comes limping in. Everybody's screaming and crying and wailing. And they get up with tears in their eyes and they say, Rachel's dead. The love of your life is dead. The seed of your affection and your passion, she's dead. But, but the child lived. Here, hold your baby. Hold your baby, Jacob. Hold your baby, Benoni. Jacob wipes his face and says, no. His name will not be called Benoni. Sorrow. I'm sorry. His name is going to be called Benjamin, which means the son of strength. Now, something you should know about Benjamin is it had been promised to Rachel that she would be the mother of kings. And something you should know about Benjamin is that he was a direct, he, he was, that, that King Saul was a direct descendant of Benjamin. So Samuel says, Saul, I want you to go down to Rachel's tomb. Not just so you can get confirmation of this word I'm giving you, 
but so God can prove to Rachel's bones, so God can prove to Rachel's remains that when I make you a promise, it may not look like it's coming to pass. When I make you a promise, it may not look like it's going to work out. When I make you a promise, it may look like everything is going in the opposite direction. But when I make you a promise, I will always confirm my word. So go on down to the tomb so I can show Rachel that I'll keep my promise to a dead woman. I'll keep my promise to a dead person. They may have died, but my word still lives. Heaven and earth may pass away, but my word will stand forever. I'm a promise-keeping God. I'm a covenant-keeping God. If I told you you were going to birth kings, go show your great-great-grandmama that the promise was still good. Go show the one I promised that I will bring it to pass. Go to Rachel's tomb. Go to Rachel's tomb. Many times in life, God will send you back to the tombs of losses. Just to show every tear you cried over that tomb that God is a deliverer, that God is a way maker, that God is a promise keeper. And in this season, God's going to send you back to some tombs, some tombs where you buried your hopes, some tombs where you buried your dreams, some tombs where you buried your expectation because he wants to prove his promise was still good. I don't know who I'm preaching to. I'm talking to people that have buried some stuff and dealt with disappointment and felt the sting and the sawdust down your throat of mourning and grief. God said to tell you he's not through with it. He'll take you back to the tomb to show you he will still do what he said he would do. Everybody say confirmation. Confirmation. Everybody say confirmation. Now I started studying that and, and I, I, I realized that God often sends confirmation at tombs. You follow your Bible with me. He often sends confirmation to prove his faithfulness at tombs. You remember what we just read. God sent a king to the tomb of a dead woman to prove his promise would still come to pass. Prove how turn your sorrow, what you called Benoni, what you called sorrow, I'll turn it into the strength of a king to rule the nation. God is turning sorrow into strength. He's turning misery into miracles. He's turning messes into messages. God is turning that thing and he turns it at the tombs. And, and, then, and then you remember God promised Elisha that he would do double the miracles of Eli. But when Elisha died, he had only performed 15 miracles. Elijah had performed eight. Eight doubled is not 15. It's just a little bit short. And God told me to tell you on this point that some of you have been looking at his promise and you've been looking at your life and what you've been saying is it's just coming up. a. I mean, I ain't going to say you ain't been good to me and, and thank you for those other 15, but, but it's not like you said it would be. And if I look at my life and I'm honest, I have to say it's just coming up a little bit who knows what I'm talking about? Who knows what it feels like to feel? It's just coming up a little bit, a little bit short in my marriage, a little bit short in my money, a little bit short with my business, a little bit short with my children, a little bit short in my life. And, and it looked like the promise of God was just a little off, just a little inaccurate, just a little bit short. It looked like the promise of God couldn't really be confirmed fully because the man was dead. It looked like it was over until there was some soldiers walking by Elisha's tomb. 
They had a dead soldier with them, and they said, this is so convenient. Let's get this body off of us. They rolled the stone away and threw that soldier in that grave, not knowing laying on the ground was the dead bones of Elisha. When that soldier hit those bones, the 16th miracle came into being, and God confirmed his word by bringing a dead man back to life because he hit some anointed bones. Somebody ought to give a God a praise right there. Somebody ought to give God a praise right there. They weren't truly scared of Jesus. They never would have crucified him. Scripture says so. They weren't truly worried about Jesus. They had seen prophets do miracles before. They weren't really worried about Jesus until Jesus walked up to Lazarus' tomb. He said, roll the stone away. And he spoke a dead man back to life. The tomb was where God confirmed, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall. He did that at the. Because God often confirms his faithfulness at. And there's one more tomb he confirmed his faithfulness at. They arrested Jesus, bound his hands, took him to the judgment hall, took turns, strike him in the face while he was blindfolded and said, if you're a prophet, tell us who hit you. They plucked his beard out of his face. They spit on him, and then they led him to the whipping post, took his hands from behind his back and tied them up over his head, beat him with a cat o nine tail whip sewn with bone, metal, and glass to tear apart his body with each lash. He lost so much blood, he should have died on the spot, but he had the strength to walk over to a hill called Calvary. They laid Jesus out on a cross, and they nailed his left hand, his right hand, and nailed his feet together. They lifted him up off the ground, making his body and those wounds support all of the weight. And he hung there until the sun refused to shine and the ground began to shake. He hung there until the law began to break and fall over into grace. He hung there until righteousness and peace started kissing each other. He hung there until the judgment of God was fully satisfied and everyone that believes on Jesus and will call his name in faith shall be saved. He hung there until every curse Adam brought into the world was broken. He hung there until the devil lost all power. He hung there until God exalted his name above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and earth unto the earth and every tongue shall confess Jesus Christ is Lord. He hung there until the Roman soldier that didn't believe in God said surely this is the son of God. He hung there and then he died. And they pulled his lifeless, bloodless, broken, beaten body off that cross. And Joseph of Arimathea said, I know, I know he's going to need a tomb. God often proves his faithfulness <laughs> at tombs. He said, I know he's going to need a tomb. And he gave him his tomb and, and he was dead all of Friday and he was dead all of Saturday. But early Sunday morning on the, on the third day. On the third day, Mary came in to dress his body, and the angel said, why are you seeking the living among the dead? Because God often proves his faithfulness at the tomb. I don't know where your tomb is, but you need to book a visit because a change is coming, and God is going to prove his faithfulness at the tomb of Rachel. He's going to prove his faithfulness at the tomb of your misery. He's going to prove his faithfulness at the tomb of your grief. He's going to prove his faithfulness at the tomb of your problem. He's going to prove his faithfulness at the... 
said, go to the tomb. I got a confirmation for you. Go to the tomb. I got something I want to whisper to Rachel's bones. Go to the tomb. And, and then the scripture says that the spirit, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. That's what's coming to you. The spirit of the Lord is going to come powerfully upon you. The spirit of the Lord came powerfully on him. And the Bible says some prophets were walking by and Saul began to prophesy. He began to prophesy and the Bible says he, his heart was changed and he was turned into a different person. That, that God brought a new person out of an old body. God's about to bring a new person out of your old body. A new person, a new spirit, a new mentality, a new way of thinking. It's the anointing for a change. Lift up your hand. Say, I receive the anointing for a change. Now worship the Lord all over this house. The atmosphere is changing now. For the Spirit of the Lord is here. Come on, lift your hands. The evidence is all around. Yeah, yeah. That the Spirit of the Lord is here. The atmosphere, come on, sing with me, say. The atmosphere is changing now. For the Spirit of the Lord. Evidence is all.
That's the sound of breakthrough. I wish somebody would shout with us. There's a breakthrough in the room. There's deliverance in the room. There's power in the room. The Holy Spirit's in the room.
overflow in this place. Fill my heart with your love, your love surrounds us. You're the reason I came to encounter your love, your love surrounds us. So we say the atmosphere is changing now. For the Spirit of the Lord is here. The evidence is all around. That the Spirit of the Lord lift up your voice and give Him praise in the house this morning. Oh, beautiful you are, Holy Spirit. You're welcome here, Holy Spirit. We worship you. Lift up your hands and say, I worship you, Holy Spirit. I need you, Holy Spirit. Come fill me, Holy Spirit. Anoint me, Holy Spirit. Change me, Holy Spirit. Rearrange me, Holy Spirit. Turn me, Holy Spirit. Lead me, Holy Spirit. Guide me, Holy Spirit. We worship you. We thank you. We thank you. We thank you. We thank you. If you're baptized in that heavenly language, begin to speak in tongues for the next 30 seconds. Come on, if you have the gift of speaking in tongues, let it out right now. God said he's taking addictions right now. He's taking infirmities right now. He's taking fear right now. All it is is a choice. It's just a choice to give it. His hand is reached out and he's taking it. It's just a choice whether you give it to him or not. Saith the Lord of hosts. Lift up your hands and say, take it. Everything in me that's not like you, take it. Every brokenness, every sin, take it. Everything I haven't repented of, take it. All my bitterness and unforgiveness, take it. My laziness and my procrastination, take it. 
the things I use to waste my time. Take it, take it, take it, take it. Come on, take it, take it. Time is, time is short, and we got to go. But there's one more, there's one more thing in this text that you got to hear. Listen to me. Listen where you are. Listen to me. You don't want to miss this. In verse 7, after the Holy Spirit came upon Saul, Samuel said, look at your hands. He said, whatever your hand finds to do, do it, because God is with you. Lift up your hands. Thank you, Lord, that you are the God that blesses the work of our hands. You are the God that makes sure our labor is not in vain. And Lord, by the power of your spirit, I pray you bless the hands of the people, that you strengthen them, that you lift them up. You make them mighty in the earth. In Jesus' name we pray. Give him one more praise all over the house. Sit down for 30 seconds. I need 40 people. Not everybody. I need 40 people. I need 40 people to get a $200 seed or as close as you can get to it, because I have a need, and my need is, I need to challenge you to step out into this change. Heaven has to send the change, but then earth has to agree with it, accept it, and respond to it. I want you to get an envelope in front of you. If you don't have $200, but you have a desire to give, give as close as you can to it, but the word I heard, there's 40 people that need to be challenged for this change. You need to engage to the furthest extent your faith. You need me to challenge you to do this so your faith can kiss the anointing that's in this room. So your faith and your sacrifice can kiss, can accept, can agree with the thing God did in this place in your life. There's 40 of you. There's 40 of you. Get an envelope. Get an envelope. Get an envelope. Or... If you're going to give on your phone, get your phone out. The instructions are on the screen right there. I wouldn't be a good pastor if I let this opportunity pass you by. You need to be challenged to kiss the change. You kiss the change with your sacrifice, with your agreement, with your acceptance. Get an offering. Whoever I'm speaking to, the sudden change is coming. The quick change is coming. But heaven's got to send it, and, it, and heaven did. You got to kiss it. You got to receive it. You got to accept it. You got to grab it. You got to embrace it. You got to latch on to it. I know it's a holiday weekend. I know it's a sacrifice. I know there's a lot of other things you probably had planned. But this is a moment with you and God where God is asking you to kiss to accept, to embrace this change that he's bringing. Whoever you are, I ain't going to parade you around. I ain't going to count you. Everybody, you've had time to do what you need to do in your seat. Stand to your feet. May the spirit of the living God see this sacrifice you're making. May the spirit of God reign on your seat and bless you in this change. May you be blessed in the city, blessed in the field, blessed in your uprising and blessed in your downsetting. May you be lenders and not borrowers. May the spirit of debt be broken. May the Lord your God guards you, guide you, and lead you, and give you an inheritance in the name of Jesus Christ. Now be blessed. Travel safe. May God bless you and keep you. We'll see you next Sunday morning. I love you so much.